Our scripture reading today is from Philemon 1, verses 1 through 25. It can be found in your pew Bible on page 1860. Please stand if you are able. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith, so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become both useful to both you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous, not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, Welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epiphas, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The word of God for the people of God. God. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Can you hear me? Yes. Good. (laughs) Uh, It's great to be here and wonderful to see uh, all of you again. I don't know if you remember, uh, but the last time I gave a sermon here was 2021, and it was the 4th of July. I enjoyed the irony of you guys celebrating your independence and me, a British person, being given the opportunity to share with you. (laughs) 
I remember a particularly good prayer thanking God for freeing us from past oppressors. And of course, I was the next person to speak. <laughs> but that's enough about colonialism for now. More on that later. It's not often we get to read an entire book of the Bible during a church service. And if you didn't realize, that's what we did today. Philemon, Philemon, I don't know how to say it, I'm going to say Philemon for today, was written between 55 and uh, 63 CE, and is only 25 verses long. And although it barely mentions the name of Jesus, I think it perfectly demonstrates what the kingdom should be like. Timothy Keller goes further and says, if the entire Bible was lost or destroyed and only the book of Philemon was left over, we could still clearly understand the message of Jesus Christ in these 355 words. So we have three characters in this story. Paul, who's the mega apostle and super big boss of the church at the time. We have Philemon, who was a rich Christian who hosted a church in his home. And we have Onesimus, a runaway but now repentant slave. As we like to say in Honduras, hay niveles, there are levels. We've got Paul, the big boss, Philemon, the middle manager, and Onesimus, the assistant. Now, you may have heard of Pliny the Younger, he was an important Roman administrator and author who witnessed the eruption of Mount Vesuvius. He's a real person. He lived around the same time as Paul and even wrote letters to people under his authority. And rather helpfully for today's sermon, he wrote a letter to a guy called Sabinianus around 100 CE, a very similar time to Paul's letter to Philemon. It also has three characters. The first is Pliny the Younger. The second is Sabinianus. And the third is the so-called freedman. I'm going to read the letter now. Dear Sabinianus, you told me that you had been angry with a freedman of yours. And now he's come to see me. He threw himself at my feet, clung on to me as though I were you. He wept a lot. He asked for a lot, though he kept quiet about a lot too. To sum it up, he made me believe that he was genuinely sorry. I think he is a changed character because he really does feel that he did wrong. Yes, I know you're angry, and I know too that you have a right to be angry. But mercy earns most praise when anger is fully justified. Once you loved this fellow, and I hope you will love him again. For the moment, though, it's enough if you let yourself be placated. You can always be angry again if he deserves it. And you'll have all the more reason to if you've been placated now. He's young, he's in tears, and you have a kind heart. Make all that count. Don't torture him. Don't torture yourself either. Anger is always torture for a soft heart like yours. I'm afraid it will look as though I'm putting pressure on you, not simply making a request if I join my prayers to his. 
But I'm going to do it anyway, and all the more thoroughly and fully, because I've given him a sharp and severe talking to. And I've warned him clearly that I won't make such a request again. This was because he needed a good fright. And I said it to him that rather than to you, because it's just possible that I shall make another request and receive it too, always supposing it's an appropriate thing for me to ask and for you to grant. Yours sincerely, Pliny the Younger. Although I don't think he called himself Pliny the Younger, did he? You can clearly see a similar dynamic going on here. We have Paul and Pliny the Younger, who are the elder statesmen in this situation. Then we have Philemon and Sabinianus, who both have a runaway slave. And we have Onesimus and the freedman, who are, or at least appear to be, repentant. In July of this year, when Lindsay and I were in England, I received a message from Marcelo, one of our university students. He had been doing so well for several months, great exam results, and had just got back from playing for the university basketball team in an international tournament in El Salvador. He said, Steve, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but I've decided that I need to help my mum. She's got no one supporting her, and I need to get a job and make sure she is fine. So tomorrow morning, I'm heading off early and going to the United States. Do not call me, as I won't answer, and I'll let you know when I arrive there safely. To give you a bit more context, I've known Marcelo now for 14 years. We met when he was nine years old. I've seen him grow up from a boy into a young man, and he's one of the most intellectually capable of all of our students. However, he has experienced rejection for his entire life. And due to trauma in his early childhood, he can't control his emotions in a healthy way. He's also quite disposed to rash and spontaneous decisions. And let me clarify, when he said he was going up to the US, it wasn't because he had a job or a visa already arranged. It was an attempt to go and head up illegally like so many Hondurans feel they have to do on a daily basis. In one sense, you can understand his thinking, and actually his desire to help his mother is not a bad one. We want our kids to try and improve the relationship they have with their biological families. But what I couldn't quite get him to understand is that he's not going to be a able to achieve helping his mum any more effectively by simply running away. He was blinded by seeing his mother starving, his sister beginning on the road to prostitution, and no hope at all for his young, younger siblings. How similar might Marcelo, Onesimus, and the unnamed, unnamed freedman be? Of course, Marcelo is not a slave, but you, couldn't, you don't have to stretch yourself too much to make the connection that he is enslaved within an unjust and toxic poverty cycle. Honduras was colonized by the Spanish in the early 1500s. A bit of a history lesson for you. And it won its independence 202 years ago in 1821. However, many people would argue that the colonization simply continued in a different guise. 
Originally, it was the Spanish exploiting Honduras. And now, in the words of Honduran journalist Gustavo Peña Flores, Honduran leaders themselves exploit it. He wrote, These leaders openly act against the nation's interests. They turn their country into an exploitation site, a junkyard where their families happen to live. Their design for the country is that of extraction. After the 2021 celebration of its bicentennial as an independent nation, it seems clear that, that this has been a history of state improvisations, the mining boom of the 19th century, the banana boom of the 20th century, and finally, the industrial parks and assembly plant Maquilas since 1990, which have taken advantage of an unskilled population undergoing exponential growth. Gustavo Peña Flores argues that the first thing the president of the newly independent nation back in the 1800s did was sell off all the remaining gold and silver. Between 1880 and 1954, 100 million US dollars of precious metals were extracted from Honduras. And can you guess who pocketed the profits? It wasn't the Honduran people. Then came the banana plantations under the United Fruit Company, who shamelessly exploited both Honduran land and people. And now, if you travel up to the north coast of Honduras, you'll come across vast factories and assembly lines built on those old banana plantations. You may be interested to know that the largest Nike factory in the world was opened in Honduras in 2021 and apparently employs 6,000 people. I'd love to go and visit the houses of some of those workers and see what kind of conditions they live in. I may be being cynical, but I can't imagine they'll be living in nice brick-built houses in a safe area. So what has this all got to do with Paul and Pliny the Younger, you're probably thinking? Well, it's about challenging unjust structures in society. With both Paul and Pliny, we begin with the mega-apostle and the Roman administrator. We then have Philemon and Sabinianus, who are rich slave owners, and then we have the slaves. What is Pliny the Younger's solution? He says, I've given him a sharp and severe talking to. Now I'm going to send him back, and under my orders, you are going to receive him. You don't have to even forgive him. Just be placated. In other words, Pliny uses his positional authority to order Sabinianus to receive the unmained, unnamed freedman back as a slave. You'll note that this slave remains nameless. But at the end of the day, everyone's happy, right? Pliny is still the main authority and Sabinianus has his slave back in his rightful place. How different is Paul's solution? Verses 17 and 18 give you the answer. Paul writes, So if you consider me a partner, not a mega-apostle, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. There's no sense of Paul using his status as, a possible, uh, as apostle to demand a particular response from Philemon. In verses 8 and 9, he explicitly states that he is not ordering him 
to forgive Onesimus. And what, who do you think of when you hear the phrase, if he has done, done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me? Doesn't that sound just a little bit like Jesus? Here we have Paul recognizing his earthly power, and instead of using it to restore the status quo, he throws that authority aside and turns the situation completely. Receive your runaway slave as if it were me visiting. Whenever Lindsay and I, for example, are invited for a dinner at someone's house, we're available for invitations, by the way, People don't order in pizza and open the door in their pajamas. They make a big deal out of it because they want to demonstrate how much they care about us. And that's what Paul was asking the former slave owner to do with his slave. Former slave. Pliny the Younger's solution is to restore the status quo, and Paul's solution is to install the kingdom. So what on earth do we do with that? I'm not saying that the next step is to open our doors and welcome in the homeless to live with us. I'm also not saying that illegal immigration can be justified. But what can we do to positively engage and challenge the unjust decisions and structures that occur in our local, national, and international communities? You'll be interested to know that last week, Marcelo got back into contact and asked me for forgiveness. He had gone three months without eating properly and working 12 hours a day for six days a week in Mexico. He hadn't earned enough money to support himself, let alone his mother. His brother, who was traveling with him, had become unwell with an infected open wound, and he was at the point of giving up. How do I respond? I'd be entirely justified to say, well, it was your choice to go, so deal with the consequences. And because I was still quite upset, I could actually go on for a very long time as to why I no longer want anything to do with him. But rather annoyingly, I was preparing for this sermon. (laughs) And so I had Paul's words very clearly in my mind. I decided that I would help with some, but not all of the cost of getting home safely and I would help with the medical treatment of his brother when they arrive. I'm very pleased to tell you that they arrived safely to Tegucigalpa on Thursday of this week, and his brother has all the needs to get better, all that he needs to get better. But what do we do now? We can't just have him living in the house, not doing anything. This is an ongoing conversation for us, and we'd appreciate your prayers for wisdom and how to deal with this. But who is your Marcelo? Or who is your Onesimus? Or indeed, are you a Marcelo or an Onesimus? The Western church has changed almost beyond recognition over the past 40 or 50 years. We no longer have the resources and energy that we previously had. We had for many years enjoyed being the center of the Christian world. But today's reality is different. The global church center is in what is called the majority world. 
Africa, Asia, and Latin America have significantly higher numbers of Christians. Yet the majority of church power, whether that's controlling theological decisions or how and where money is spent, still very much lies with us here in the Western Hemisphere. Where do we as the Western church need to repent and say, actually, we need to start listening to our brothers and sisters whom our ancestors colonized? And where do we need to go even further and hand over the decision-making? We'll be sharing more specifically how we are challenging the unjust structures in the society of Honduras during the presentation after the service. So I, by, I finish by asking you to prayerfully consider where do you help maintain the status quo? What opportunities do you have to speak up and challenge that you don't currently use? Using the breakthrough prayer, Lord, interrupt us to be fearlessly obedient to your plans. Challenge us to act on those opportunities. Where has someone done you wrong and now you need to charge that wrong to a different place? How can you engage in bringing about God's kingdom on this earth by speaking up against injustice and not allowing modern-day colonialism, whether that's here in South Bend or further afield, to continue to flourish? I pray that the Lord will guide you and convict you on what is within your power and influence to do. Amen.